Chapter Nineteen of the Great Impersonation. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. The Great Impersonation by E. Phillips Oppenheim. Chapter Nineteen. Dawn the next morning was heralded by only a thin line of red parting the masses of black-gray snow clouds which still hung low down in the east. The wind had dropped, and there was something ghostly about the still twilight as Dominey issued from the back regions and made his way through the untrodden snow round to the side of the house underneath Rosamund's window. A little exclamation broke from his lips as he stood there. From the terraced walks, down the steps, and straight across the park to the corner of the black wood, were fresh tracks. The cry had been no fantasy. Somebody or something had passed from the black wood and back again to this spot in the night. Dominey, curiously excited by his discovery, examined the footmarks eagerly, then followed them to the corner of the wood. Here and there they puzzled him. They were neither like human footsteps nor the track of any known animal. At the edge of the wood they seemed to vanish into the heart of a great mass of brambles, from which here and there the snow had been shaken off. There was no sign of any pathway. If ever there had been one, the neglect of years had obliterated it. Bracken, brambles, shrubs, and bushes had grown up and degenerated, only to be succeeded by a ranker and more dense form of undergrowth. Many of the trees, although they were still plentiful, had been blown down and left to rot, on the ground. The place was silent except for the slow drip of falling snow from the drooping leaves. He took one more cautious step forward and found himself slowly sinking. Black mud was oozing up through the snow where he had set his feet. He was just able to scramble back. Picking his way with great caution he commenced a leisurely perambulation of the whole of the outside of the wood. Peggs, the junior keeper, an hour or so later, went over the gun-rack once more, tapped the empty cases, and turned towards Middleton, who was sitting in a chair before the fire, smoking his pipe. "'I can't find Master's number two gun, Mr. Middleton,' he announced. "'That's missing.' "'Look again, lad,' the old keeper directed, removing the pipe from his mouth. "'The Master was shooting with it yesterday. Look amongst those loosens at the far end of the rack. It must be somewhere there.' "'Well, it isn't,' the young man replied obstinately. The door of the room was suddenly opened, and Dominey entered with the missing gun under his arm. Middleton rose to his feet at once and laid down his pipe. Surprise kept him temporarily silent. "'I want you to come this way with me for a moment,' his master ordered. The keeper took up his hat and stick and followed. Dominey led him to where the tracks had halted on the gravel outside Rosamund's window and pointed across to the black wood. "'What do you make of those?' he inquired. Middleton did not hesitate. He shook his head gravely. "'Was anything heard last night, sir? There was an infernal yell underneath this window.' "'That was the spirit of Roger Anthonk, for sure,' Middleton pronounced with a little shudder. "'When he do come out of that wood, he do call.' "'Spirits,' his master pointed out, "'do not leave tracks like that behind.' Middleton considered the matter. "'They do say hereabout,' he confided, "'that the spirit of Roger Anthonk have been taken possession of by some sort of great animal, 
and that it do come here now and then to be fed. By whom? Dominey inquired patiently. Why, by Mrs. Unthank. Mrs. Unthank has not been in this house for many months. From the day she left until last night, so far as I can gather, nothing has been heard of this ghost or beast or whatever it is. That do seem queer, surely, Middleton admitted. Dominey followed the tracks with his eyes to the wood and back again. Middleton, he said, I am learning something about spirits. It seems that they not only make tracks, but they require feeding. Perhaps if that is so they can feel a charge of shot inside them. The old man seemed for a moment to stiffen with slow horror. You wouldn't shoot at it, squire, he gasped. I should have done so this morning if I had had a chance, Dominey replied. When the weather is a little drier, I am going to make my way into that wood, Middleton, with a rifle under my arm. Then as God's above you'll never come out, squire, was the solemn reply. We will see, Dominey muttered. I have hacked my way through some queer country in Africa. There's not like this wood in the world, sir, the old man asserted doggedly. The bottom's rotten from end to end, and the top's all poisonous. The birds die there on the trees. It's chock full of reptiles and unclean things, with green and purple fungi, two feet high, with poison in the very sniff of them. The man who enters that wood goes to his grave. Nevertheless, Dominey said firmly, within a very short time I am going to solve the mystery of this nocturnal visitor. They returned to the house side by side. Just before they entered, Dominey turned to his companion. Middleton, he said, you keep up the good old customs, I suppose, and spend half an hour at the Dominey Arms now and then? Most every night of my life, sir, the old man replied, from eight till nine. I'm a man of regular habits, and that do seem right to me that with the work done right and proper a man should have his relaxation. That is right, John, Dominey assented. Next time you are there, don't forget to mention that I am going to have that wood looked through. I should like to get it about. You understand? That'll fair flummox the folk, was the doubtful reply. But I'll let em know, squire. There'll be a rare bit of talk, I can promise you that. Dominey handed over his gun, went to his room, bathed and changed, and descended for breakfast. There was a sudden hush as he entered, which he very well understood. Everyone began to talk about the prospect of the day's sport. Dominey helped himself from the sideboard and took his place at the table. I hope, he said, that our very latest thing in ghosts did not disturb anybody. We all seem to have heard the same thing, the cabinet minister observed with interest, a most appalling and unearthly cry. I have lately joined every society connected with spooks and find them a fascinating study. If you want to investigate, Dominey observed as he helped himself to coffee, you can bring out a revolver and prowl about with me one night. From the time when I was a kid before I went to Eton, up till when I left here for Africa, we had a series of highly respectable and well-behaved ghosts who were a credit to the family and of whom we were somewhat proud. This latest spook, however, is something quite outside the pale. "'Has he a history?' Mr. Watson asked with interest. "'I am informed,' Dominey replied, "'that he is the spirit of a schoolmaster who once lived here, and for whose departure from the world I am supposed to be responsible. Such a spook is neither a credit nor a comfort to the family.' 
Their host spoke with such an absolute absence of emotion that everyone was conscious of a curious reluctance to abandon a subject full of such fascinating possibilities. Terniloff was the only one, however, who made a suggestion. "'We might have a battue in the wood,' he proposed. "'I am not sure,' Dominey told him, "'that the character of the wood is not more interesting than the ghost who is supposed to dwell in it. You remember how terrified the beaters were yesterday at the bare suggestion of entering it? For generations it has been held unclean. It is certainly most unsafe. I went in over my knees on the outskirts of it this morning. Shall we say half-past ten in the gun-room?' Seaman followed his host out of the room. "'My friend,' he said, "'you must not allow these local circumstances to occupy too large a share of your thoughts.' It is true that these are the days of your relaxation. Still, there is the princess for you to think of. After all, she has us in her power. The merest whisper in Downing Street, and behold, catastrophe. Dominey took his friend's arm. Look here, Seaman, he rejoined. It's easy enough to say there is the princess to be considered, but will you kindly tell me what on earth more I can do to make her see the position?' Necessity demands that I should be on the best of terms with Lady Dominey, and I should not make myself in any way conspicuous with the princess. I am not sure, Seaman reflected, that the terms you are on with Lady Dominey matter very much to anyone. So far as regards the princess, she is an impulsive and passionate person, but she is also grand dame and a diplomatist. I see no reason why you should not marry her secretly in London, in the name of Everard Dominey, and have the ceremony repeated under your rightful name later on. They had paused to help themselves to cigarettes which were displayed with a cabinet of cigars on a round table in the hall. Dominey waited for a moment before he answered. "'Has the princess confided to you that that is her wish?' he asked. "'Something of the sort,' Seaman acknowledged. "'She wishes the suggestion, however, to come from you.' "'And your advice?' Seaman blew out a little cloud of cigar smoke. "'My friend,' he confessed, "'I am a little afraid of the princess. I ask you no questions as to your own feelings with regard to her. I take it for granted that, as a man of honor, it will be your duty to offer your hand in marriage sooner or later. I see no harm in anticipating a few months, if by that means we can pacify her. Terniloff would arrange it at the embassy. He is devoted to her.' and it will strengthen your position with him. Dominey turned away towards the stairs. We will discuss this again before we leave, he said gloomily. Dominey was admitted at once by her maid into his wife's sitting-room. Rosamund, in a charming morning robe of pale blue lined with grey fur, had just finished breakfast. She held out her hands to him with a delighted little cry of welcome. How nice of you to come, Everard, she exclaimed. I was hoping I should see you for a moment before you went off. He raised her fingers to his lips and sat down by her side. She seemed entirely delighted by his presence, and he felt instinctively that she was quite unaffected by the event of the night before. "'You slept well?' he inquired. "'Perfectly,' she answered. He tackled the subject bravely, as he had made up his mind to on every opportunity. "'You do not lie awake,' thinking of our nocturnal visitor then. Not for one moment. You see, she went on conversationally, if you were really Everard, 
then I might be frightened, for some day or other I feel that if Everard comes here the spirit of Roger Unthank will do him some sort of mischief. Why? he asked. You don't know about these things, of course, she went on. But Roger Unthank was in love with me, although I had scarcely ever spoken to him before I married Everard. I think I told you that much yesterday, didn't I? After I was married the poor man nearly went out of his mind. He gave up his work and used to haunt the park here. One evening Everard caught him and they fought, and Roger Unthank was never seen again. I think that anyone around here would tell you, she went on, dropping her voice a little, that Everard killed Roger and threw him into one of those swampy places near the black wood, where a body sinks and sinks and nothing is ever seen of it again. I do not believe he did anything of the sort, Dominey declared. Oh, I don't know, she replied doubtfully. Everard had a terrible temper, and that night he came home covered with blood, looking awful. It was the night when I was taken ill. Well, no more tragedies, he insisted. I have come up to remind you that we have guests here. When are you coming down to see them? She laughed like a child. You say we, just as though you were really my husband, she declared. You must not tell anyone of your fantasy, he warned her. She acquiesced at once. Oh, I quite understand, she assured him. I shall be very, very careful. And, Everard, you have such clever guests, not at all the sort of people my Everard would have had here, and I have been out of the world for so long that I am afraid I shan't be able to talk to them. Nurse Alice is tremendously impressed. I am sure I should be terrified to sit at the end of the table, and Caroline will hate not being hostess any longer. Let me come down at tea-time and after dinner, and slip into things gradually." You can easily say that I am still an invalid, though of course I'm not at all. You shall do exactly as you choose, he promised, as he took his leave. So when the shooting party tramped into the hall that afternoon, a little weary but flushed with exercise and the pleasure of the day's sport, they found, seated in a corner of the room, behind the great round table upon which tea was set out, a rather pale, but extraordinarily childlike and fascinating woman, with large sweet eyes which seemed to be begging for their protection and sympathy as she rose hesitatingly to her feet. Dominey was by her side in a moment, and his first few words of introduction brought everyone around her. She said very little, but what she said was delightfully natural and gracious. "'It has been so kind of you,' she said to Caroline, "'to help my husband entertain his guests.' I am very much better, but I have been ill for so long that I have forgotten a great many things, and I should be a very poor hostess. But I want to make tea for you, please, and I want you all to tell me how many pheasants you have shot." Ternilov seated himself on the settee by her side. "'I am going to help you in this complicated task,' he declared. "'I am sure those sugar-tongs are too heavy for you to wield alone.' She laughed at him gaily. "'But I am not really delicate at all,' she assured him. "'I have had a very bad illness, but I am quite strong again.' "'Then I will find some other excuse for sitting here,' he said. "'I will tell you all about the high pheasants your husband killed, and about the woodcock he brought down after we had all missed it.' "'I shall love to hear about that,' she assented. "'How much sugar, please, and will you pass those hot muffins to the princess?' 
and please touch that bell. I shall want more hot water. I expect you are all very thirsty. I am so glad to be here with you. End of chapter 19 Recording by Tom Weiss